Welcome to the Be Early Podcast with Coach Gavin Cree, where I explore the history of Mercer Island boys basketball through conversations with former players, coaches, opponents, and more. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with friends, family, and anyone else who might have an interest in the stories and individuals who influenced Mercer Island basketball. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today's episode features a conversation with MI legend Steve Hawes. Steve graduated from Mercer Island High School in 1968, and he was a member of Coach Peppel's first team at Mercer Island High School. In 1968, Steve's team was 21-2. They were Kinko champs and a state regional qualifier. In Steve's MIHS career, he held numerous records. He was first in total rebounding at 972, first in rebounding average, 17.1, second in scoring average, 21 per game, third in field goal percentage, 60.5%, and first in free throw attempts at 454, and seventh all-time in scoring at almost 1,200 points. For season records, Steve was third in overall points for a season at 645, fourth in field goal percentage at 62.7, first in points per game, 28 points per game, in 1968. First in rebounds, total rebounds, 472. First rebound average, 20.5. Single game record, Steve had games of 49 points, which is a school record. He also had games of 44, and one game of 42 points and 40 rebounds. The 40 rebounds, a school record as well. Steve went on to a college career at the University of Washington, graduating in 1972, where he played for legendary coaches Tex Winter, and Marv Harshman. After an outstanding Husky career, Steve was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the second round of the 1972 NBA Draft, the 24th overall selection. He was then traded to the Houston Rockets and ended up signing with an Italian club out of Venice, Italy, and played three years. In his first year in Italy, Steve was named the most valuable foreigner in the Italian league, otherwise known as the Oscar. Upon returning to the NBA, Steve played for 10 seasons for the Houston Rockets, Portland Trailblazers, Atlanta Hawks, and Seattle Supersonics. He finished his NBA career in the 83-84 season with career stats of almost 5,800 points and 4,300 rebounds before returning to Venice for one final season of professional basketball in 84-85. Steve returned to the Seattle area and worked at a sports publishing company, He then got into some coaching, was a graduate assistant for Lynn Nance at University of Washington in the early 90s. He had coaching stints at Seattle U and SPU. Steve bought a printing business in 1993 that he ran for 20 years, and he started coaching high school basketball in 1996 at the Bush School in Seattle. He had two years at Anacortes High School, returned back to Bush for another couple of years before spending some time at O'Day as an assistant coach, and then back to Bush the last four years, and recently retiring at the end of last season. Steve is enjoying retirement and lives between his homes in Seattle and Guaymas Island with his wife of 47 years, Janice. Now I hope you enjoy my conversation with MI legend Steve Hawes. Okay, Steve. Uh, Thanks for being part of the Be Early podcast. I appreciate you joining us today. I wanted to check in and see where kind of your life is right now. 
Uh, we're going to talk about your Mercer Island basketball career, your college and professional career, your coaching and other things. Um, but what's going on with you right now, professionally and personally? Well, right now, I, I got out of high school coaching at the end of last season. Uh, actually, the timing turned out pretty well because I think it would have driven me crazy to not be able to do what I do, what I do as a coach for all that period of time, what you've been going through. But uh, right now, um, we have a place on Guimas Island up in the San Juans where I am now. And we're doing some building here, building a garage and um, a house eventually, a new, a new house, excuse me, to replace the existing cabin. So that's been kind of fun. You know, I've been involved in construction since uh, Lincoln Logs and Erector Sets when I was a kid. So fun to see it go up. Uh, so I'm up here a couple times a week. And otherwise, uh, in Seattle, uh, we've got uh, two beautiful granddaughters, age uh, eight and six. And we're fortunate to be able to see them. They live in West Seattle. And We've been fortunate to be able to spend time with them during this uh, this last year. Um, obviously, uh, following all the guidelines and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it's been it's been a transition time for me. Um, but you know, just like any time, it's great to have something to keep you busy. So I've I've been enjoying it. Nice. And uh, and you you're kind of the uh, let's go back to your career at Mercer Island, the the late '60s. Graduated in 1968. You were kind of what I would call the one of the OGs of the of Mercer Island basketball, the uh, one of the original star players. Coach Peppel was hired in in your senior year before your senior year, sixty seven, sixty eight. We'll talk about right. his impact in a moment here, but I wanted to ask you, kind of prior to him being there, you played I think three years of varsity basketball, uh, and and grew up on the island. Uh, what what was the Islander program like? prior to Coach Peppel arriving, and did a basketball culture exist at all that you grew up in? Yeah, there was a basketball culture, and, uh, you know, I was a big fan of the high school teams growing up. My, my older brother, Kenny, uh, three years older than, than I am, and, uh, you know, I admired those guys, and it was a viable program. It just hadn't had, um, I guess, the kind of success that we hoped for, uh, and, um you know, I, I guess the best way I can describe it is that prior to Coach Peppel's arrival, you know, we played the game and we enjoyed the game um, and we practiced. And uh, in the offseason, of course, it was a lot different then. We would play basketball just for fun. There wasn't, there were no, um, you know, AU programs or elite programs like that. But we would play multiple sports. You know, I'd play baseball in the spring. And then we'd get back to basketball in the, in the, uh, late fall, but the difference was, and this is all in retrospect, obviously, but, it, you know, it, I'm sure it occurred to us on some level that as soon as Coach Peppel came to Mercer Island, we uh, transitioned from being a basketball team to a basketball program. And by that, I mean, uh, it was much more all-encompassing. There was uh, community involvement. Uh, there was a level of commitment, which we hadn't um, – hadn't experienced before, you know, everything, you know, all, all the things that guys in the program have heard about and experienced, you know, the, the buzz cut, uh, that was, that was a crazy one at that time. You know, we all wanted to have long hair and be like the Beatles and the maroon jackets and the way that, uh, he, he required that we do things, you know, beyond time, the basic stuff, be committed. You know, when you're on the basketball floor, you're on the basketball floor. Uh, focus on what you're doing there. Attention to detail. 
uh, preparation, uh, you know, all the things you think about in athletics and in basketball that people talk about the life lessons that, that we all learn, they were all there all of a sudden um, in, in 1967, 68. And, you know, I, I never remember feeling, wow, this is a big adjustment. But I do remember feeling, wow, this is the right way to do it. You know, I, I feel good about this. Uh, I'm excited. Everybody was excited. We knew we had a good team, uh, but we'd had good teams before and, and not, uh, not reach our potential. So we kind of got on this ride and, you know, before you, know, you grew up in the, on Mercer Island, you grew up on the Island, right? Gavin? Yeah. And, uh, you know, basketball, the high school program was part of your life growing up. Well, it wasn't really for us in terms of our own involvement. You know, like I said, there was no, you know, we, one, of, one of the things he did our first year on Saturdays, he would have fifth graders into the gym after our practice. Each of us would get a team and we would coach them, you know, and so far as that was coaching. But it was, you know, the first time that had been done on the island for sure. Um, and I think it was pretty, you know, you could consider that the precursor to the little dribblers. And what that became, you know, I all the way to, you know, traveling throughout the country and, and all of that. So, you know, all these little things along the way that, that became a big deal, which was, hey, you know, overall, it was also an issue of developing pride in the program. Um, I think we might have lacked a little pride in the program before that because we had not achieved the kind of success that we, that we maybe should have. But we had a lot of pride in what we were doing that year. Um, and it started out slowly. You know, you play a few non-league games and gather some momentum and things go well. And you start to see, wow, this is something special. And we were really, really proud of that. Um, and it was, uh, I'm, I feel so fortunate that he, you know, he came to the island uh, my senior year. I obviously would have loved to play for him more than that. But uh, it, really, it really changed a lot of things. Yeah. Well, for you personally, um, you're obviously blessed with a lot of size and I didn't obviously get to see you play, but I would imagine a lot of athleticism for your size as well. Um, did you grow up playing other sports? You kind of mentioned that you played some baseball and when did basketball become, you know, a part of your life and something that you knew you were going to dedicate some time to? Well, I, I tell you, honestly, basketball, uh, became number one. I don't know, I'd say when I was six, seven, eight years old, we, we moved to a house on the north end of the island. And, uh, my dad put up a, a backboard and hoop there, and we had a like a 20 by 20 area that, you know, the driveway there. And I just spent all my time, not all my time, I spent a lot of time out there. You know, it was just the magic of basketball. I just, I just loved the whole process and spent a lot of time out there on my own and spent even more time with my two brothers. And we'd go, you know, we'd go head to head, um, all the time. And I was in a neighborhood where there were more kids, my older brother's age, two, three, four years older. And so it was really, really a great proving ground to play against, you know, at that age, when I was, I, I guess, when I was eight, nine, 10, to be playing against kids that were 10, 11, 12, and, and, and more was, you know, it was very challenging. Uh, so that I think that really um, allowed me to, to to develop more than I would have probably to compete against these guys who were bigger and stronger. And that's where it started. I mean, I, I'll tell you, honestly, I, I really felt when I was, I don't know what, maybe I was 10, 11, 12. And I, we watched uh, the NBA games on Sunday afternoons. You know, it was almost always the Celtics and the Lakers or the Knicks. Uh, and a couple, there were only eight teams in the league then. 
And, you know, I just couldn't wait for that, for that game to start to, to watch that. But I really knew when I was young that I, I wanted to play basketball in the NBA and, and uh, played a lot of football in the neighborhood, you know, just um, in the fall time, you know, following the Huskies and that kind of thing. And then baseball. I love baseball, too. I played baseball all the way through Little League up through high school and really enjoyed that. It was a, you know, that, that was a totally different sport. And it came right after basketball. And it was just, you know, flat out. It was just more relaxed. And it was just, a, a, you know, a lot of fun to, to be able to do that. It was a little bit of a, a little bit of a decompression after a basketball season. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your brother, your brought your two brothers that also played basketball. Your brother, Jeff, your younger brother, graduated right. in 1970. He was another outstanding Islander, big man. Um, I don't have the stats on your older brother, um, but uh, I know that Jeff, I think he's second to you in, in rebounding, in, in career rebounding in the program. Um, he followed in your footsteps, played at the UW, uh, and some people might remember his son, Spencer, who was drafted by Sacramento, sure. and went to UW and, and had a nice NBA career. I have to ask you, who, who was the better player between you, Jeff, and your, and your older brother, uh, Kenny? Is that right? Kenny, right. I was. You were the best player. <laughs> yeah, I was. And they were good. You know, and obviously Jeff had, you know, had a great career. My older brother played uh, freshman basketball in college. But, you know, it was great. It was, like I mentioned, it was great testing and great uh, proving ground to go against my older brother and Jeff. Jeff's always been uh, hyper competitive. Um, so, you know, it really, it really was great. I was very fortunate to have that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little aside, uh, that I didn't put in our notes here. Um, I, I actually have another connection to you. I actually played some basketball with your son, uh, Ellis at, at Pomona Pitzer. Oh, really? He was, uh, our, I think we were <laughs> the same graduating class. So anyway, uh, -huh. uh, I went there as a freshman to Pomona. He was at Pitzer, but we had a JV team. And I think Ellis was invited to come out for the JV team. And then I ended up, I wasn't playing that much as a freshman. So I ended up playing a bunch of games with the JV team. So we played together for a year. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't know that. Team. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of funny. Well, um, back to kind of coach Peppel and his impact. You talked about a little bit about this kind of just the immediate impact he had on the program and all the things that he implemented right away. Talk to us how, about how that season unfolded for you guys and, uh, what were the goals for the team going into it and and what happened? I know it was a pretty successful season. Yeah, it was very successful. Um, you know, you ask about goals. I, I couldn't even tell you what they were. If you, if we, I think we established we wanted to win the conference, win the league, excuse me. Um, and, but I, I don't remember any talk about state. Uh, there could have been, but it was really sort of the journey approach. Um, and that's how we looked at it as players. As I mentioned earlier, we didn't know what we were capable of. And we, we started discovering that as we, as we started competing against teams. Our biggest rivalry, rivalry in the league was Newport. Um, Bruce Case uh, was my year and became a Husky teammate of mine. And we've been close friends ever since. Bruce was at Newport. He was an all-state performer in football and basketball. And we had a real rival, rivalry with those guys. Um, they beat us uh, early in the season. I'm going to say fifth or sixth or seventh game, something like that. It was a close game. And then uh, 
we went all the way through uh, the rest of conference and undefeated, and we were 18 and two, I think. We played uh, in the the regionals at state. We played the team Glacier High School, the team that we had beaten pretty handily earlier, and I had I had had that big game with uh, 42 rebounds, 40 points, and they came out in a two three zone and. Uh, I don't think I touched the ball more than 10 times during the game. And we just, they just beat us. You know, they, they uh, knocked us out there and we had a consolation game. But um, so that was very disappointing. We obviously at that point, we're feeling like we had, we had the ability to go a lot further than that, but you know, it's over. It was over. And uh, you know, look, we knew right away we'd had a great season. It was a ton of fun. And as I had said earlier, an element of pride, a, a strong element of pride in there and what, what that team had done. And I think we even had a feeling that we'd sort of set the table for uh, the, the guys, the, the, the guys coming along with the team and, and, and would continue to be with it and beyond that, because what coach Peppel instilled was something that wasn't, you know, it wasn't for a game or a week or, or a season. It was, it was, I just wanted, you know, for life, it was a, a program that stayed with you and we felt really really confident that uh the rest of the, the teams coming along would benefit from it and and be successful and they were as you know um for even uh, after i graduated that first year they just kept rolling and and did so for years and years and years yeah and, and building off of that um you know, like you said to me earlier, a lot of people probably that might listen to this that played in the program, we knew Coach Peppel and his program as kind of an institution on the island and felt his impact throughout our youth. I think for me, I met him in second or third grade and was going to camps and then started going to little dribblers in his youth program and watching his teams play and then playing for him. Um, but you only played one year for Coach Peppel, but but also you've, you've had a relationship that extended beyond high school. Um, what did he instill in you in just, in just that one year that you were able to carry forward in your various experiences, both in the game and professionally? Well, they, they overlap. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say entirely, but to a great extent, what, you know, what happens on the floor in the locker room and what happens in life, um, you know, you can't, you don't separate them if you've been in a program like that. And, you know, the, the, the commitment was the, probably the one, number one thing that, you know, you were, you were either on the bus or you just weren't on the bus. And, and of course, we all wanted to be on the bus. And, and then the, I, I distinctly remember um, the attention to detail that uh, I hadn't experienced before from a coach in terms of preparation, in terms of, you know, all the little things that, you know, I'm sure you talk about, you know, setting the, setting the screen right the right way you know, boxing out and all these, all the little things that, that add up to big things. Uh, so it was that attention to detail that, that uh, also sticks out. And he was com extremely competitive. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I'd venture to say that in the later years before, you know, a few years before, I know he was competitive, but I, I'm guessing a little bit of that edge might've been off just because all he'd been through, that doesn't mean he wanted to win any less at all. But he was, you know, when he came in, I, <laughs> he was sort of like a drill sergeant light. Um, you know, he came in a, with a shortcut hair and, you know, really bouncing around and really energetic. And here's what we're going to do, guys. And here's how we're going to do it. And, 
you know, always, always somewhere in the background, he had a, that sort of uh, that impish side to him, that, that little grin he's, he, he had, which we all remember so well. So it was fun. It was never drudgery. It was never, oh, geez, I loved going to practice. And, you know, I'll tell you, from that point on in my life, I always loved going to practice because I really felt like there was something to be, to be uh, gotten out of it. I was really fortunate in my career to play for um, a number of all Hall of Fame coaches. And, and Coach Peppel was the first. And then I played for Tex Winter, Marv Harshman, Hubie Brown uh, with Atlanta, with the Hawks. And then I played with Lenny Wilkins for Lenny Wilkins a couple of years. And um, he, set the, he set the standard of excellence and, and what was expected out of us. That, uh, boy, you come into the gym. I'm not saying you don't want, you don't have fun, but you buckle down, you pay attention, you focus on what we're doing because we really don't have a lot of time to just waste out here. There's a lot, a lot to teach. And he taught a lot. He taught a lot of basketball and he taught a lot about life uh, off the court as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in, in looking at your, your career a little bit at Mercer Island, um, I went over a lot of the, a lot of the records that you hold and top 10 rankings and things in the opening, but just to highlight a few of them, you were, um, seventh in total points for your career, uh, first in rebounds uh, overall in the program with 972. Uh, and your brother Jeff was second in that category. Um, like I said, point total points per game, uh, average for your three years, 21, but your senior year, you averaged 28 points a game. I don't know if they kept block shots back then because I don't see your name on the list uh, of block shots, but I would imagine that you would be near the top, if not at the top, um, if that stat were kept back then. Um, yeah, they, they, they did not keep block shots at that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, you had a couple amazing games, and if anybody walks into the gym, you see the record board there on the right, uh, on the right side of the, of the entryway. And you see um, a 49 that you had 49 points, which is the most points scored in the game ever for the program. And another game where you scored 40 rebounds. You had other games of 44 and 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 42 points. In fact, the 40 rebound game was also a 42 point game against Glacier High School. Those numbers are are incredible, um, especially on the rebounds. We've had some other players get close. To, you know, there was a kid I played with, Justin McCollum who had a 41 point game, uh, for us, but, uh, yeah, 40 rebounds in the game is, is unbelievable. What was, uh, how does that happen? What was the pace of play and, and what was the team strategy? Because sometimes right now we might not even have 40 rebounds as a team. Yeah. Um, yeah, we played a pretty up-tempo game. Um, I wouldn't say it was crazy up-tempo, but it was up-tempo, but you know, honestly, there, uh, anytime you get 40 rebounds or 30 rebounds or 25 rebounds, that means there's a lot of missed shots out there. <laughs> so I was able to, uh, you know, grab a bunch of those rebounds and, and offensive rebounds as well. You know, I always felt like I was a, a good offensive rebounder too. And I kind of joke with people ask me, how did that happen? I said, well, must, my mom must've been keeping the book that night, <laughs> which wasn't the case, but uh, you know, it's just one of those weird, weird, weird times where it all added up to that. And it was, uh, you know, it was a good game. We won the game. Uh, but, uh, you know, just those things came along. So shots went up pretty quickly for your team, or was that kind of common in the game in that, in that era? No, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it was necessarily, uh, you know, quick strike offense. We, we liked to break. I mean, that was 
something we, we were good at. Um, Jeff's a good rebounder, myself, Gordy McMillan. We could rebound the ball and get it out. So, I, you know, I wouldn't say that. it was. We, we were, you know, in those days, um, it was mostly pattern basketball. And it wasn't, it wasn't you know, passing game and continuity and, and that kind of stuff. Hardly at all. Outside of fast break and secondary breaks, the offense came out of sets. And, and obviously, uh, Coach Peppel uh, really emphasized getting the ball inside. And that, that clearly helped me a lot. I was a, strictly a back-to-the-basket player at that time. And uh, I had had some great mentoring from Bob Hubriggs, uh, the University of Washington great and a, and a great man. Uh, up at his sports camp uh, a couple of summers, and he literally took me under his wing and you know showed me footwork, showed me the hook shot, uh, taught me the hook shot, um, all of the angles, uh, you know, basics of posting up, things that frankly I don't know taught that much these days. Yeah. So I had that foundation, and 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 uh, and I uh, obviously had been posting up prior to coach's arrival, but. He really, really put an emphasis on that. And there was resistance. It was uh, you know, a couple of parents talking about it. And, you know, <laughs> hey, I'd like to get my son more involved in the offense. And and coach said, you know, don't worry. They're going to start doubling down on Steve. Just We'll just make sure your son gets post uh, gets spotted up. He'll get the ball. And sure enough, that's what happened. <laughs> um, you know, I got saw a lot of double teams and that sort of thing. Uh, there was a lot less zone played in those days, which was to our advantage. Um, there was some, obviously, but not nearly as much as there is now. Um, so yeah, it was a for me. It was perfect. You know, coach comes in and wants to wants to play the inside out game, and and uh, I was happy to be inside there posting posting out. Yeah. Well, after your Mercer Island career, you became a Husky, and uh, you played played your four years there it was at that time it was the pack eight um mm -hmm. talk to us about your your career there and what what was the state of the program while you were a husky in those days uh you probably know your freshman year you were required to play freshman ball and then varsity after that but um backing up a little bit the the program um had been kind of floundering um uh coach sarah coach duckworth had, had not had a lot of success and I'll be honest with you, I was not even interested in, in going to the UW because of that. I was recruited by some other schools. And in fact, um, you know, through the process, I was a pretty typical 18-year-old. I mean, wake up one day and I'm going here and the next day I'm going there. But I pretty much decided at one point I'd taken a trip down to Duke and I uh, really loved it down there. And they had a, they'd been in the Final Four a couple of years before that. And so uh, I was ready to commit to Duke, and I went into the uh, administrative office at the high school there, which I, I was by there in the last four, few, several months. I believe it's right in the same place, and there was a payphone. And I called up the Duke Athletic Department. I asked for Coach Bubis because I was going to uh, commit at that time, and he wasn't there. He wasn't available. So I said, well, this is Steve Hawes from Mercer Island calling. Have him give me a call or whatever. So that afternoon – um, Tex Winter was named to coach the University of Washington. And he was also a guy who, uh, you know, triple post offense. And, you know, he was the, he was the genius behind that, which was very post-centric. Um, got the job at the University of Washington. And that afternoon he called me. I, I hadn't been recruited by him at all. He just had taken it. And he had me come over to Tubby Gray's for like two or three hours 
and we talked about, uh, he talked about the triple post and the guys he had developed and uh, how he felt I fit into that. And we had a great group of, uh, at that time, sophomores would be juniors um, that I'd be playing with my, my sophomore year. Um, and I was convinced I, 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 uh, I, I switched course right there. And, you know, I, I guess it was a day or two and, and I made the, the, the formal commitment to the university. Uh, God, I'm so glad that, uh, <laughs> you know, in those days, once you made a commitment, you didn't change your commitment. It was, you know, it was a, a handshake type of deal. And I'm so glad that it worked out that way because uh, who knows what would have, I'm sure I would have been fine at Duke, but boy, the opportunities that came out of being at the University of Washington were fantastic. And we had, um, the year I played freshman ball, uh, the team went uh, 17 and eight. We only played, I, I guess it must've been 18 and eight. We played 26 games each year and clearly was turned around. And my sophomore year, um, I was playing again with guys, this senior group and, and a couple of juniors, uh, uh, and, and, and we had a good freshman group as well. And we had a really, really great team. We were ranked sixth, uh, going into the, the a tournament in Portland called the far West classic, which is around Christmas time. I think we were six and oh, or eight and oh, something like that. And it was very ironic myself and Rafael stone, who was our point guard, great, great point guard. Both, uh, had fractures of our fibula, the lower bone in our leg. And totally different circumstances. Uh, mine was a stress, stress fracture. His was not. So we were out for four weeks. You know, that was rough. And then we came back and we got, we got back, back on track and finished with a good year. In those days, uh, for years and years, UCLA was a dominant program nationally and certainly in the conference. Only one team went to the tournament from the conference. There was one team. No teams from the conference could go to the NIT. Only one team could go to the NCAAs. And uh, so we were on the outside looking in. And then uh, my junior year, we had a little bit of a uh, stumble bit. I think we ended up 13 and 13. At the end of that season, Coach, uh, Coach Winter decided he wanted to try uh, the professional level. And, he's, and he uh, signed a contract with the San Diego Rockets. And uh, so he was gone. It was just, it was it was shocking. Uh, nobody had any idea what was going on. And we were really looking forward to uh, a good senior year. And uh, coach Marv Harshman came in from Washington state and boy, we had a heck of a senior year. We were 20 and six again, couldn't get into the tournament. I uh, just couldn't get by UCLA. We played them tough. Um, actually played them tough for three years, um, but couldn't get by them. But we had a, a, a really successful year at 20 and six. And, uh, uh, so that was that was uh, my college career as it unfolded. Yeah. Did you play against Walton or any of those? Legends? Yeah, I played against Bill um, my senior year. He was a sophomore. <laughs> and the first game we went down to L.A. Bill, well, you know, he was great. He wasn't really good. He was great. He just snuffed me. Uh, I think I had two points, and they they kind of ran us out of the place. And the next week we played him in Seattle. And uh, it was a much more competitive game. And, you know, I was able to make some adjustments and, and have a, we had a good head-to-head -head battle. You know, I ended up playing with Bill um, against him in the NBA and then with him one year in Portland. So we go back a ways. So, yeah, on your professional career, you, I looked it up, you were drafted by Cleveland, I believe, in 1972 draft. 
uh, this in the second round, 24th overall pick. But you started your career in Italy. Um, you were named, uh, when you were in Italy, you were named the most valuable foreigner or the Oscar in the Italian league your first year. You then came back to the NBA, played for 10 seasons uh, for Houston, Portland, Atlanta, and Seattle. Had almost 5,800 points, 4,300 rebounds, and then finished your pro career in Italy in 84, 85. How did, how did you end up deciding, or how did you end up in Italy uh, instead of going to Cleveland? Well, I've been, like you said, I've been drafted by Cleveland. Uh, went to their rookie camp in the summertime. Bill Fitch at the time was the coach and general manager. And, and, and he sat me down at the end of it and said, Steve, we really like you and this, that, and the other. The minimum at that time was 35000 a year, um, not guaranteed. And, you know, which was standard. I, I was hoping for more, um, but a, more, a, a bigger offer. I was traded to Houston, talked to them on and off for a while. And then my agent, uh, Arthur Morris out of Chicago, got in touch with the team in Venice. Um, and they offered me a two-year contract uh, at $40,000 a year, guaranteed. And, and uh, mind you, money wasn't the only thing involved. There, there were a lot of other things. I was very excited about going to Italy. I wanted to play in the NBA, and I felt like I'd have a chance to get back. But I was really, really excited to, to go to Italy for the experience and, and uh, all that. And it turned out to be a great thing for me. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I'd been completely a post player, back to the basket player. And in the two years in Italy, I was able to develop my outside game, face-up face game from the wing and the high post and, you know, putting the ball on the floor and, and all those things that, uh, you know, at, at six nine, six, eight, six, nine in the NBA to be a pure post player would have been tough sledding. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I, by the time I got back, I had developed my outside skills as well and allowed me to play, you know, the, the four position uh, and the five position. I, I played quite a bit of post in the NBA as well, but uh, the time in Italy um, made all the difference. Uh, you know, the competition was somewhere between, you know, high, high level college and, and, uh, I wouldn't put it that close to the NBA, but it was good enough. And I was playing against guys who were older mm -hmm. uh, and, and been through the ropes. I mean, these, you know, we played some Yugoslavian teams where it seemed like everybody on that team was 6'10", had a full beard and shoulders about four feet wide. It ended up being great, but I took a few lickings over there in terms of, uh, you know, matching up physically with guys at that age. I was 22 and these guys are 28, 30, 32. So it was a great experience. It really, it really got me ready for coming back uh, to the NBA after two years over there. So it sounds like you came back to the NBA kind of mid seventies, played through, you know, early to mid eighties. Who were, who were some of the names of, of players that the, the best players you played against in the NBA that people might remember? Well, there were a lot of them uh, that were great players. Um, of course, I, I played against Kareem uh, several years, and I, I when I was with Atlanta, I was I played the four five, four slash five, so we were head to head sometimes. I don't know. I guess you wouldn't say it was head to head; it was head to shoulders. But uh, Kareem, um, Julius Irving, George Gervin, Bob Lanier, Artis Gilmore. I mean, there were there were it was a, a rich period of of uh, basketball in the NBA in terms of talent, especially big men. I mean, there was more of a premium on, on big men then than there is now. That's, there's, that's no secret. 
And, uh, you know, Nate Thurman, my God, um, I don't know if you know him. He was, Heard of him, yeah. he was just an, er an eraser. Um, but it was thrilling for me. I mean, I'd been watching a lot of these guys uh, since high school. All of a sudden, here I was out on a bright, lit NBA floor, <laughs> you know, going ahead. To, Bill Bradley had been a childhood uh, hero of mine and followed him from the time I was in high school. We played them. We played the Knicks in, in the garden. Our third game that year, we had a four-game road trip. He, he went up for a floater on the baseline, about a 15-foot floater on the baseline. And I somehow timed it right and, and uh, blocked it. And I, it was just one of those moments I couldn't believe, you know. And it sort of was like, okay, I guess you are here. You know, <laughs> you're here and, and these, you're playing against these guys. You know, John Havlicek and, you know, it just goes on and on. Dave Collins. Yeah. yeah. Big names, big names. And you, like I said earlier, you, you, you held your own. You had a great career, 10 years, many, many points and rebounds. Uh, you played for some great coaches. You then, when you retired, um, you got into some coaching uh, at some point a little bit later. You spent, uh, amongst all of your stops, you spent some time as an assistant coach at the college level, University of Washington, graduate assistant, some time at Seattle U, Seattle Pacific. And then you spent the better part of 25 or so years as a head, head and assistant coach at the high school level. You were the head coach at Bush School for a number of different stops um, and also Anacortes High School. And you were an assistant at O'Day for four years. And, and we went up against each other with some, some good playoff battles there when you were at O'Day. What was or was was coaching something that you knew you were going to pursue while you were a player or did, did it just sort of happen? No, uh, honestly, Gavin, it's probably the last thing I thought about doing. Um, but it, it just sort of it's one of those things that developed. I started coaching middle school at Bush. Um, you know, I th actually, it was fifth graders, I think. And then and then an older group. And then the job came open uh, in 96. I hadn't really given a lot of thought, but it's, you know, a small school, good place to, you know, get my feet wet. And, um, I was there for six years. The first, my first tent there and just had a, uh, had a ball doing it. Great kids, uh, good support. Uh, we had success as a program, took the team to state one year for the first time in quite some time. Um, and, uh, really, really enjoyed it. It, it definitely got its hooks into me and, um, uh, you know how it is. I mean, it's it's with you the whole time. It's not much time. You don't think about, you know, coaching uh, a team, you know, the whole process of developing it and, uh, you know, the teaching side of it and, and the life lessons and the whole ball of wax. And uh, I, I just, I loved it. You know, I, I loved it a lot. How was your coaching philosophy influenced by Coach Peppel? I'd say mostly in the, you know, you, know, you got to understand that was a long time between I when I played for him and when I got into coaching and I, there was a lot of other water under the bridge with other coaches, sure. but I do remember the preparation element and the commitment element um, that, uh, you know, we wanted everybody on board and, and I tried to get, I tried to coach um, my high school teams in terms of structure, you know, practices and things like that. Like, when I had played for Hubie Brown in Atlanta, he was, he was a lot like coach Peppel in, in many ways in terms of, you know, demanding excellence. And, and uh, the preparation was, was so great. 
so that that carried forward and and uh you know as i said i had a lot of a lot of good coaches in between you know it all it all just adds up to you know our life experiences and as i mentioned earlier i was really really fortunate quick quick other connection uh you mentioned hubie brown who's a legendary uh nba coach um my dad actually played JV basketball and varsity baseball for Hubie Brown in New Jersey when he was. Oh, is that right? He was like in his early twenties and was, yeah, I've, I've heard the stories and you know, he was, it sounds like he was a lot like coach Peppel maybe. Um, yeah. I would, I would say it's hard to say, but was that in Elizabeth, uh, New Jersey uh, or Cranford, somewhere here? Yeah. Yeah. He talked a lot about, um, growing up there. We had coaches, uh, assistants of his somewhere from that, they were part of his experience growing up and through coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great coach. And maybe still on the air. I'm not sure. I don't know. How I, th- I think he is, you know, I talked to him about, uh, Oh, I guess it was a year ago, probably a little bit more now, a year and a half ago. And I hadn't talked to him in years and years. And, and he said, I said, guy, I love this. I love listening to your stuff on, on uh, ESPN. And he said, yeah, he said, yeah, I love it too. Steve, it keeps me young. And he's 86 years old. Well, he was 86. He's probably 88 now. Sharp as can be. Always was, uh, you know, down to the finest detail. And I love the way he analyzes games. Um, I guess it's probably because I listened to him for five or six years and was soaking it all in. But I, did, I just uh, really, anytime I'm flipping through stuff and I run across something he's doing, that's where I land. Yeah. Well, I want to finish with uh, a little a little quick round here. Uh, you can give shorter answers if you want. The first one is, who is the best at feeding the ball to you inside for the Islanders on your teams? Uh, yeah, none of those guys wanted to get me the ball. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That was required. You know, Ron Cohn was really great. I mean, Ron still plays basketball, as you, you may know. And very heady, analyzes the game. Uh, you know, I, I would say probably Ron and we had senior guards, obviously, but uh, he was he was uh, playing a lot of time. All right, we'll give it to Ron. Who was the best shooter that you played with at Mercer Island? Probably uh, my brother Jeff. You know, I don't remember the first couple years so much as as uh, that senior year, and you know, Jeff's got a really different game than I do. He's got great left hand, great right hand, great left foot, great great feet. Period can score a number of ways and he still does it. Believe it or not, he's still playing at the whack. And wow. um, I'm sure he's the best player out there. You know, there weren't, there was no three point shot. Right. Nothing was really beyond mid range, six, 15, 16, 17, maybe 18 feet. Um, nobody thought about stepping out to 22 or whatever, 19 or so it was mid range and, and, and uh, you know, baseline stuff, that sort of thing. So yeah, I would, I would say Jeff without yeah. a doubt. Pass that on to his son Spencer. He was a pretty good. Yeah. Player. Wow. Well, Spence has still he's he's got his great hands and great feet and great understanding of the game and same kind of I just call it a little bit a little bit of funky basketball, mm-hmm. different ways to do things and find angles and get by people and and uh, yeah they're definitely two peas out of the pod. <laughs> Who was the toughest player that you played with at MI? You know, my senior year. Um, there was a guy, uh, Gordy McMillan, uh, was a about six four forward. You know, we didn't have any brawlers on our team in terms of toughness and throwing elbows and that kind of stuff. But uh, Gordy played through a lot of pain. Uh, he had he had knees that he really struggled with, 
And I admired him always for um, sticking with it and grinding it out and, and being uh, productive. Uh, and he's uh, you know, a great guy. And, and I see him occasionally, a great friend. So I, I would say that, Gordy. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Coach Peppelism or a quote or saying that, that, that sticks with you? Get the ball to the big fella. <laughs> I think I heard that coaching. <laughs> no, I, I, you know what? I, I, I don't, I know he, I know guys that played for him for three or four years probably do, you know, and I think of him, I think of uh, the image in my mind when he's got that, that grin on his face, uh, kind of sly grin. And, you know, his, his mind was always working. He was great at, at throwing a jab at you or at somebody mm-hmm. and could take it and give it um, all in good humor. Um, which is part of what made him a great man. So you played quite a while, well, a few years in, in Italy. What's your favorite Italian meal? Well, I was in Venice, uh, which is a, uh, a cuisine that is heavy on seafood. Mm. And um, I, I can tell you straight, I was uh, spaghetti alle vongole, which is clam spaghetti or linguine. With a, it's a beautiful uh, oil and butter sauce with garlic and, and fresh clams. And I think I could probably do that, uh, three meals a day for quite a while. So, but there were, there were a lot of things we really loved about the Italian cuisine. I'm sure. How about in the NBA? Who was the most physical player you battled with inside in the NBA? Without a doubt, artist Gilmore, seven foot, seven, one, probably outweighed me by 40 pounds, 260, 270, built like a rock totally chiseled, uh, nicest guy in the world. I mean, would never harm a fly, but I, there was something about artists, me trying to deal with artists. I just couldn't, he was really good at utilizing his strength with his, with his arms and, you know, and boxing out and getting by you on when you're uh, blocking out on a defensive rebound. I mean, he really, really had my number. And, uh, you know, we had at that time, a, a radio announcer by the name of Skip Carey, and I, I heard he said, he said, you know, Haas just isn't equipped to deal with Gilmore. <laughs> and, it was, and it was true. So he was, he was the toughest guy for me to play. Uh, there were obviously a lot of other guys. Bob Lanier was, you know, I, I, I always thought of him as a hornet, you know. It was all right if you didn't piss him off and make him angry somehow. And if you did, it was all over. I mean, he, he had a. It wasn't a mean streak. It was just a tough streak in him. That that was uh, you didn't want to you didn't want to see it. Yeah. Wow. Um, how about the best coach you played for professionally? Hubie Brown, without a doubt. And and part of that is that I was with him for uh, almost six years. I I, I I mentioned this before. I loved going to. I, you know, there were times you were tired, dead, dead tired, and you didn't physically didn't feel like going hard and, and at practice, but I always loved going to practice because there was no fooling around. There was no wasting time. You know, if you did what he asked you to do, everything was really, really good. You know, he was loyal to, to the end uh, with that. If you didn't, you weren't part of it. You know, he would, he would try to uh, get, you know, get rid of your trade. You cut you, whatever it was, he just wouldn't put up with guys. You know, 12 man roster is what it was at that time. And sometimes we carried 11. So there wasn't any, any room for fluff and you know you just had to do things right and i enjoyed that i i love i love the fact that we were pushed to become uh as good as we could and he did that to us we became a really really solid franchise in in those years uh the last one in this section what 
what was the best environment or the best crowd that you ever played in over the course of your career? Or is there a game that sticks out where it was just electric? Well, I love playing uh, Atlanta in the Omni was a great place to play, but uh, there is one game when uh, we played the Washington Bullets at the time in a seven game series, the Eastern Conference semifinals. And it was, uh, it was three to three. Uh, they were, I'm trying to remember if they had just won it or Seattle had just won it. But anyway, game seven in um, Landover, it was just a madhouse. Uh, obviously packed to the gills. And I remember in one time out, it was so loud. I remember thinking, I can't hear myself think. <laughs> it was so crazy the whole way through. And uh, that was, uh, you know, there were a lot of very, very exciting times. And, you know, at that level, when uh, and you get into the playoffs, there's nothing like it. But that's a particular one I remember. You know, the I love the playoffs because you, you'd see the same team. Uh, if it was a, a seven-game series at least four times in a row. And, and if things, you know, it could be as many as seven. But I love the game-to-game um, -game preparation adjustments. Mm -hmm. You know, we knew everything the other team wanted to do, vice versa. They knew us. You know, there were no trade. You know, you might put in a player, a wrinkle off a play, or maybe not a bounce play or something. But it was just uh, nose to nose, and it's the same way it is now. Yeah, nose to nose, and um, you know, the highest level. I, I can't imagine a higher level between the you know the level of athleticism and and skill, and then the, the amount of preparation that went into each and every game. It was just really, really, really exciting. Well, my last question for you here is you were a coach for a long time. Obviously, you played at so many levels. What would your advice be? We have hopefully some young young players listening to this and maybe some parents and stuff in the program. What uh, What's your advice to young players who are just now kind of getting serious about basketball? They want to have a high school career or maybe they want to play at the next level if they're good enough. What's What's your best advice for young players? Make it fun. Make it fun for yourself. And um in order to do that, you have to commit to the program, uh, to the team and the program, and do the things that uh, the coaches ask you to do. Do them well, improve, but make sure you're having fun and enjoying it. The most fun times for me weren't necessarily the easiest times. They were sometimes the hardest times. But um, as a coach, when I was coaching in high school, you know, you sit down with your kids before the season starts and go over goals and that sort of thing. At the end, I would always say, I want, I want you guys at the end of the day to have had a good experience that you've had fun. And if you're, if you're still that eligibility that you want to come back next year and do it again, I think without that, you're missing a lot. I think it's a great opportunity to have a life experience that is um, just opens up so many things and you've got to be enjoying yourself to really, to really get that, uh, to maximize that experience. All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. I learned a lot. My more. pleasure, Gavin. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was great. I hope that uh, you'll tune in to maybe some of the other episodes and hear from some other other former Islanders. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Great to talk to you, and I look forward to following the podcast. All right. Thanks, Steve. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share the Be Early podcast and follow me on Twitter at Coach Cree MI for updates about Mercer Island basketball and previews to new podcast episodes. And remember, in the words of Coach Peppel, 
If you can't be on time, be early. 